When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mom and Dad are Fighting is brought to you by BowlandBranch.com, the company that makes luxury betting affordable. Get the nicest sheets you've ever owned for about half the price of what stores and boutiques are charging. Order right now, and they'll give you $50 off a set of sheets, plus free shipping. Go to BowlandBranch.com, that's B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com, and use the promo code MOMANDDAD. And by Texture, the mobile app that lets you tap directly into the world's most popular magazines anywhere using your phone or tablet. Dive deeper into Vogue, People, Esquire, Time, and hundreds more with interactive content for a richer reading experience. Right now, try Texture for free at texture.com slash momanddad. That's texture.com slash momanddad. And by Club W, leading the grape-to-glass wine revolution. Answer just six simple questions at clubw.com, and their algorithm will create a palette profile just for you. Get wine directly to your door, perfectly customized to match your taste. For 50% off your first order, go to clubw.com slash momanddad. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for January 7th, 2015, the Failed Resolutions Edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm an editor at Slate and the dad of Lyra, who is 10, and Harper, who is 8. I'm Allison Benedict, also an editor at Slate and the mom of Harry 7, Sam 4 for one more week, and Wally 2. Happy New Year, Allison. Happy New Year. On today's show, we will be joined by our pal Ron Lieber of the New York Times to discuss parenting and money, a couple of different topics, including kids and phones and spending on family leisure activities. Then we'll talk New Year's resolutions. One year ago, Allison and a number of special Slate guests made some parenting resolutions right here on the show. We will be joined today by Julia Turner, Will Dobson, and Allison's husband, John, to see how they did. Finally, some accountability on the show. Plus, triumphs and fails, a listener call about the afterlife, and in our Slate Plus segment, we'll be joined by Slate's brand new podcast guru, executive producer Steve Lichtai, who will share a parenting triumph or fail with us. He is a very funny dude, so don't miss it. But first, Allison has a very special announcement. 
Yes, our first live show of the year, hopefully our first of many, will be in Brooklyn on Tuesday, January 26th, and will feature us and really lots of great guests. We're super excited about this. We will have a panel on making art for kids featuring children's book author and illustrator Oliver Jeffers, whose books include The Day the Crayons Quit and The Day the Crayons Came Home, Rebecca Stead, a Newbery Award-winning author of books for middle schoolers, including When You Reach Me, and children's musician Lori Berkner. Also, we will be joined by Shirlane McRae, who is, among many other things, currently the First Lady of New York City. My husband, John, will be there. It's going to be great. Uh, the show is at the Bell House. <laughs> <laughs> what? He's the big ticket item. I can't believe right. you buried him. There will be a panel of John and Allison. Uh, it's going to be great, really. The show will be at the Bell House, a great venue, and it starts at 7 p.m. There will also be a pre-show cocktail hour, but there are only 40 tickets total for that, so get them while they last. Show tickets are $20, and the show plus cocktail hour tickets are $40. Slate Plus members will get 30% off ticket prices. Everyone, go to slate.com slash live to buy your tickets. We will see you in Brooklyn soon. This is going to be the funnest show ever. Please come. Please join us. We can't wait to meet you. Please like us on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash mom and dad are fighting, where you can ask questions, you can yell at us, you can share your responses or suggestions. And of course, you can learn more about the world's greatest family card game, Ace of Hates, now available at aceofhates.com. And if you like mom and dad are fighting, tell a friend. This week, I would love for you to tell your second best friend all about us. Pull her aside and tell her, Joni or Ralph or whatever, you are among the most important people in my life. And so I want to share this podcast I really enjoy listening to with you. I can't think of anyone other than one person with whom I would rather discuss this. All right, let's move on to triumphs and fails. Allison. I have a fail to start the year off right. It is a fail that I've committed before. It is a parenting fail. It is a child fail with me as the child in this scenario. And also it is a spousal fail. So for that the, is the holy trinity yeah. of fails. <laughs> for the second time in less than a year, John and I got in a huge fight in front of my mom. Both times the fight was over how we discipline our kids. Uh, John almost always takes a harder line, and then it becomes my job to publicly support him, right? The whole united front thing, don't contradict sure. him thing that you believe in so strongly and all the experts say is important. Uh, and privately berate him. But I find <laughs> when my parents are around, I do the berating and disagreeing and contradicting him in public because I think because I see or I think I see them grimace at how tough he can be on the boys. And they, you know, they I don't know how they would have been if the boys were their kids. But as grandparents, they don't you know, they don't want us to be it's too tough. It's their job to not want them to be disciplined at all. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. I, in turn, want to show them that I'm actually the boss here and that I agree with them, uh, not John. And this is really bad for everyone and makes everyone deeply uncomfortable. Uh, and I would really like not to fight in front of my parents, if possible, in 2016. I would also like John to be less strict, and I think he shares some of the blame in this fail. But I would like that desire of mine for him to be less strict to not become way more intense when my parents are around. Hi, guys. Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. <laughs> hey. Hey, Myra. Um, I agree that it is really tough and that we find ourselves sometimes in situations like this, too, where you you sort of feel like 
the parents can be your allies in this case, but then that ends up making a very oppositional dynamic where all of a sudden the other person feels ganged up on. You're like using these people who you love as tools and as weapons against another person you love. It's very difficult. And I agree that that is a rock solid fail, uh, but I have high hopes that you having recognized it. Um, will not do that again. Yeah, it really doesn't work to say if you're fighting with your husband to say like, "Well, my mom agrees with me." Yeah, no, that is not going to help your case <laughs> overall. Like, it's just gonna, that's definitely just going to make John way more upset. Uh, okay, what do you have? Um, I have a triumph on Christmas night uh, while we were we were away for Christmas um, in a warm and sunny clime. Um, on Christmas night. Uh, Harper and Lyra's cousins, who are both babies, really were having trouble getting to bed, were having trouble getting to sleep. They were really amped up about the whole day. Their parents, Alia's brother and his wife, I think were really just struggling with getting them where they needed to get them to be. And my kids weren't helping, not because I think they were actively getting in the way, but just because we were all in the same place and they were distracting them and wanted to play with them and were talking or whatever. And I needed to get Harper in particular out for a while. But it was like the middle of the night. And I wasn't sure what to do. But so my triumph is that we came up with something really great. Together we invented a game. Not a card game like Ace of Hates, which you can, of course, purchase at aceofhates.com. But a game that we played together using one of her Christmas presents. She got walkie-talkies from Santa. Um, And so we went out of our room and out just onto the grounds of this hotel. And we played walkie-talkie hide-and-seek. One of us would hide. Coming to a store near you. And we each had a walkie-talkie. Uh, yes, yeah, soon, soon. I've already reserved walkie-talkie-hide-and-seek.com. Um, and the other person would say into the walkie-talkie, like, okay, now I'm walking down the path toward where we had breakfast the other morning. And the person who's hiding would say warmer or colder based on their knowledge of the place. And this is a good game for Harper, who really loves knowing the place she's in and exploring it and figuring out how to get from one place to another. She was the kid who, by her second day at this place, could figure out how to get from one building back to our room, how to get, you know, every place in this at this hotel. She was a little nervous about it at first. She was nervous about hiding on her own at nighttime, but she really got into it and felt independent and felt like she was having a great fun. And I felt like the triumphs were sort of multiple here that we invented this activity from scratch, that we found a new way to make this present that she got from Santa fun, that I encouraged her when she was feeling discouraged, and that I was patient as we were sort of working the kinks out of this idea. But mostly the triumph was we had this problem. We were in the way, and her baby cousins needed to go to sleep. And I found a solution that was not just being like, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. Why can't you be quiet? So I felt good about that. That's great. I like that game. That sounds fun. All right, let's move on to a word from our sponsor. Mom and Dad Are Fighting is brought to you by Bowl & Branch, the online bedding company that sells beautiful quality sheets at a much lower price than you'll find at the department stores. Okay, Dan, here is a true story for you about Bowl & Branch. Ready. Okay, when we get a new advertiser, as you know, we often have a phone call with them where they tell us about their product. Several months ago, I had such a call with a representative from Bowl & Branch. You were not on that call. And she told me, among other things, that the sheets get softer and softer with each washing. And I remember thinking, "Uh uh-huh, like, I I didn't believe her. But I have been using my bowl and branch sheets and, when I have time, washing them. And it is true. They are really, really (laughs) very, very soft. And they keep getting softer but are still sturdy at the same time. So if you are in the market for new sheets, I can legit recommend these. Bowl and Branch is also so confident that you'll love their sheets that they'll let you try them risk-free for 30 nights. 
And if you order right now, they'll give you $50 off a set of sheets, plus free shipping. Just go to bowlandbranch.com and use the promo code MOMANDDAD. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com, promo code MOMANDDAD. Okay, back to the show. All right, let's move on to our first segment. Let's welcome back our favorite New York Times money and family columnist, Ron Lieber. He's the author of the great book, The Opposite of Spoiled, which is out next month in paperback, and he's a great guest on our show. Welcome, Ron. It is great to be back. So, Ron, I asked you on the show this week because two of your recent pieces at the Times touched on issues that are really relevant in our family right now. One's very practical and one is very philosophical, but let's do the practical one first. We are nearing the age when we are starting to think about our older daughter, Lyra, having a phone, but we don't want her to use that phone to just be on the internet all the time. We want her to be able to call and text, and that's pretty much it. And I thought, well, it's easy. We'll just, like, you know, get her a dumb phone, and we'll be done with it. But a recent column of yours made me think that it might not be as easy as I thought. What is the situation out there for phones that are suitable for kids? Yeah, so I walked into that exploration and exercise being all sure that we could just hand our kids a dumb phone and it would be very easy. They would literally not be able to get on the Internet, uh, even if they could figure out how to get uh, around the parental controls. Um, so, But the, the problem here is that um, the hardware barely exists anymore. I mean, I had a conversation with a with a company called and they told me they're having trouble getting hands on, getting their hands on dumb phones to sell. And when they do, they often cost more uh, than the basic smartphones. Um, the good news here um, is that it actually is getting easier through um, the settings, as long as your kids don't find their way around your passwords, um, to set things up so that they cannot use the Internet, even if the phone technically has that capability. That's crazy that dumb phones are more expensive than smartphones. It reminds me of how, like, these days if you want a stick shift on a car, it's like a, a bonus extra that you have to pay more for than an automatic transition. Yeah, I mean, they already have names for these things. Like, there's one that's called Retro that doesn't have Internet <laughs> access, right? And then there's a fancy new sort of hipster one that, that was designed in Europe that's about to show up here um, called punked, as in my parents punked me by getting me this very beautiful phone, uh, but one that does not <laughs> access uh, the internet. Uh, it, it, so, yeah, there you are. <laughs> so, so fine. So the dumb phone is out. What is the, what's the better option? Well, all of the major uh, sort of standard issue carriers, and we can talk about prepaid phones and those packages in a second, but the standard issue phones, right, if you want to put your kid on a, on a family plan and just pay one bill, um, all of the, the major carriers now have pretty extensive parental controls. Now, they may make you pay five or ten bucks a month to access them, but it means that you can very finely calibrate usage, right? You can say during the hours of 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., the internet literally will not work, at least, you know, in terms of um, accessing the internet through the airwaves. You may be able to control the Wi-Fi in your home as well, um, you know, through that program or through other ones. You can get an alert when the kid has left a certain geographical range. There are all sorts of things that you can set uh, and track. Um, so, you know, that is probably the next best thing um, for most people uh, to a dumb phone. 
You mentioned in the piece a couple of ways that phones are not just sort of a burden that we think of, oh, God, we have to get our kid a phone, and now we have 10 million more things to worry about, but a kind of opportunity to get kids thinking about things like budgeting. Um, and you've already mentioned this company, Ting, but that's something you bring up in the piece. How does Ting work? Well, the interesting thing about the way that they work is that it's um, pretty similar to what's known as a prepaid service, right? So instead of, you know, paying a flat fee per month plus overages for, you know, whatever amount of data or texts or, or calls that you've signed up for, there's a sort of grid that's very clear. And every time you make more than X calls or send more than X texts or use more than a certain amount of data, you've got to hand over a little bit more money. And it's right there for you to see. You can track it as the month goes on. And it becomes an actual budgeting exercise, um, which is terrific for kids um, because they can figure out you know, exactly what they're able and willing to spend above and beyond whatever they're parents or parent is willing to spring for in the first place. So you as a parent might say, okay, I'm good for unlimited text and unlimited voice, but all of the of the internet stuff is on you because you don't really need internet on the go. And to the extent that you need the internet at home, you can use our Wi-Fi and that's free. So if you want it on the go, you are going to pay for every single ounce of that data. And very quickly, the kids will begin to understand uh, the difference between wants and needs in that particular context. I never get insurance for my cell phone, but kids break and lose things more than I do. So what do you say about insurance and kids' cell phones? I think we should make them make that decision. Um, it's actually pretty hard to teach kids about insurance. It's sort of a complicated um, business, and sometimes um, the things that we buy insurance for are things that might scare the younger ones in particular. But you know, this is a really good sort of circumscribed thing, right? You say to them, okay, it's going to cost you know X amount a month. Let's think about what the odds are that you might break or lose your phone. And oh, by the way, if you do, they might make you pay a deductible or some other crazy fee before you can access the insurance. So, you know, let's run the numbers on that and think about what your odds are of screwing up here. And if you don't think your odds are very good, um, you can pay, you know, five or seven or nine bucks a month out of your allowance to insure yourself. Or you can keep that money and try to actually be responsible. <laughs> and then you won't have the issue of replacing the phone. All right. So moving on from the concrete to the abstract, I want to talk about a very interesting piece you wrote last week uh, with the headline, Think Seriously About Spending for Play. When I think about what we spend as a family on leisure, I think often about, well, you know, how much money am I setting aside to visit my parents in Wisconsin or to visit Alia's parents or to go on a trip and but you suggest, with the help of a couple of different people in this piece, that there's something else that's worth thinking about. What is that? Well, it has to do with what the precise definition of play 
is, right? Because with our leisure time, we want to have fun. Um, but what does it actually mean to achieve the most kind of heightened definition of good times, of fun? And I first got thinking about this because there's a financial planner in New Orleans, of course, where they you know make a business of having a good time, um, who puts all of his clients, pushes them really through this sort of prism of his definition of play to help them understand where play is in their budget and if they're spending the right amounts on the right things. So he looks to a couple of academics who have looked at this, and they have all sorts of interesting definitions of play. Things like it should be voluntary, otherwise it's not play. And so, you know, it's interesting to think about just the the voluntary part of the definition when we think about family trips. You know, we all have complicated relationships with our families, let alone our in-laws. So are those family trips, which we use real vacation time and, and money for, is that play? And if not, that's okay, and we should be honest with that, but there should be play other, other in other places, even if it's local, um, you know, that compensates for that. And, you know, the definitions sort of spool on and on in ways that, you know, made me think personally very differently um, about how I was defining my leisure time. I have to say, when I try to think about this stuff, the, the stuff that I think we have the most fun doing as a family, especially the kids, is stuff that actually doesn't cost a lot of money. I mean, I think in order to, like, have more play as an adult, it basically means spending more money on babysitters. But for the kids, we spend a lot of money on things that are supposed to be play, I think, but really it's it's more enrichment. Like, we're categorizing them as play, but it's really hoping they'll learn something from it, and it's not about, like, them just, you know, kind of the, the definition that you just gave. Um, and, and for us, a lot of that stuff would be, you know, relatively cost neutral. <laughs> it's been interesting, Allison, to see since you guys moved out to New Jersey, it does seem like getting outdoors and being out in nature has played a bigger role in your lives. Just for, just like from your Facebook feed, I see you guys out there seemingly having a really great time in state parks or in parks or in the woods. And that that's like a no-cost thing that seems to provide real play to your guys' family. Yeah, that's really true. Also, I'm glad that my Facebook uh, feed is getting across exactly what I'm trying to get across. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you guys uh, seem so happy and handsome. <laughs> All right. Okay. Thank you so much, Ron. I hope you have a lot of play, real play, in uh, 2016. I plan on it. <laughs> We will have links to both of these pieces on our show page and on our Facebook page. Ron Lieber, New York Times columnist and author of The Opposite of Spoiled. Thanks. My pleasure. Okay, now on to our listener call. Each week we take a listener question and try to answer it. Got questions? Call us at 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE. The only bad question is the one you didn't ask. Uh, today we have a call from Michelle. Hi, Allison and Dan. My name is Michelle, and my husband and I are atheists. We have two kids who are four and a half and one. I wonder how you've handled the discussion of any afterlife with your kids. We are fortunate in that no one in our immediate family is seriously ill and no one close to our kids has died. However, when we reach the unavoidable event of someone they know passing away, I'm not sure what to tell them. I'm having a hard time squaring my job as a parent to provide emotional reassurance to our kids with the fact that I flat out do not believe that there's an afterlife. I'm not judgmental about this issue in the slightest. I see how the concept of heaven or any other afterlife where, where loved ones are reunited to be a very comfy way of explaining things to kids. However, it's not what my husband or I believe. What do you do with your kids? Thanks. Uh, all right. This is a good question, Michelle. Thank you for calling in. 
I understand that you are an atheist. Nonetheless, while I, I'm sure that Richard Dawkins could not let this go in this circumstance, I have faith that you can briefly let it go for your very small children and give them emotional reassurance should they need it in some moment of crisis. What do we tell our kids? We sort of embrace the not knowing of it. Um, I, I, like you, am an atheist. I don't believe in heaven or hell. Um, but I also recognize that uh, that I don't truly know the answers, that no one can truly know the answers about this thing. And so we've sort of embraced that when we talk to our kids. That can be a little bit scary, but it also allows us to accept and bandy about with them the possibility of a heaven, even though it's not something that I don't personally believe in. So then what, do you, what does uh, that mean exactly? What do you say? It means we say, look, you know, no one really knows exactly what happens um, when someone dies, but many people believe that just nothing happens, that you disappear from this earth. But many other people believe that there's heaven, like you've heard about and read about in books and seen on TV shows, that there's a heaven where you go and see people who've died before you. And then I try and turn it around on them. I say, what do you believe? What do you, th- what do you think is true? They definitely always believe in heaven, and they very quickly like to talk about the things that might be in that heaven and the unlimited candy that they'll get and all the famous people that they'll meet there, uh, which is a much more fun topic of discussion than whatever death-obsessed topic we were talking about before then, and it usually solves the problem. But in general, I find I would not have it in me to be like, no, there's no heaven. Science says there's no heaven. Life is finite, and when it winks out, we are forever gone from this earth and universe like that. That that just seems like an unnecessary step to take with a really little kid. When would you? But tell what about them that? you? What do you tell your kids? Wait, wait, wait. When would you tell them that though? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Lyra, we've already had this talk with a more sort of advanced version of this talk, and been more straight with her about what we believe because she thinks about these things a lot and wants to have really serious conversations. I think the first time that a kid really wants to have a serious conversation about it and they inquire and question is when you can start to inquire and question with them. But that's not the age of Michelle's kids, I don't think. Right. But what do you guys do? Uh, basically, I, I mean, I'm with you. The, I mean, it's not a novel approach, but the whole trying to turn it back to them and what do they believe uh, or what do they think and presenting what you know the various spectrum of possibilities is is what I do, although John is a little bit more inclined. I don't think he's actually had these conversations with the kids, but in other conversations, like do you is you know, do you believe in God or do you think this story from the Bible is real? He just says no. Um, mm-hmm. And that doesn't seem to scare them, but in the in the question of you know a loved one dying, it could be more complicated. I mean, earlier we I would say things like, you know, pop up is in my heart and he's in your heart and you can and he's in your brain because you can remember him and things like that. But that doesn't fly after, you know, after a little while. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the two goals are to, like, not entirely lie to them um, and to make them comfortable. Yeah. And I think make them comfortable at the age of Michelle's kids should be the primary goal, I think. Um, but, you know, Michelle, if your beliefs are so strong that you find yourself tormented by it then you maybe you have to be true to them. I find it easy to not be true to my beliefs when talking to my children, but other people find it harder. Just get ready for the uh, call from the preschool teacher when your kids tell their friend whose grandmother just died that there's no such thing as heaven. <laughs> That's right, that your grandmother doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> and you should stop thinking about her and heaven looking down at you because she doesn't care anymore because she's just worm food. All right, thank you, Michelle. Great question. If you have a question for us, give us a call at 424-255-7833. All right, moving on. 
Mom and Dad are Fighting is brought to you by Texture. So right now on my computer, I have 7,432 tabs open of things that I may or may not read. Uh, I often feel completely overwhelmed by the things that I might want or not want to read. And I often find that I'm reading everything on the internet, but not taking advantage of the actual world of magazines in which I theoretically live. And uh, so I am really excited to tell you about Texture, which is the app that gives you an all-access pass to the world's best magazines right on your phone or tablet. You can browse hundreds of magazines and cherry-pick the articles that interest you the most. And really, the list of magazines that they have on Texture is pretty incredible. They've got general interest stuff like The New Yorker and New York and Esquire. They've got parenting and home and lifestyle magazines like Parents and Martha Stewart Living and Real Simple. They've even got magazines for kids, National Geographic Kids and Sports Illustrated Kids. Uh, they just have a really incredible list of stuff that you can browse right on the Texture app. There's also recommendations from the Texture editor team plus curated collections. You can sign up for Texture right now, and in seconds, you gain insider access to the very best reads plus exclusive content, not only the current issues of these magazines, but like every back issue. Um, and the best part is that Texture is offering listeners a free trial right now at texture.com slash mom and dad. That's right, a free trial, unrestricted access to the world's best print magazines from back issues to the one on newsstands right now. Try Texture for free, texture.com, mom and dad. All right, back to the show. One year ago, several Slate parents appeared on the show to proclaim their 2015 parenting resolutions for all the world to hear. They made heartfelt pledges, then signed them in blood. Now we've invited them back to see how they did. First up is Slate politics editor, D.C. bureau chief, and self-described Lake person Will Dobson. Let's hear his resolution. I have never taken either of my kids to the ocean. We'll remedy this in uh, 2015. Where do, you, where do you think you'll go? On a cruise? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I would, you know, I, I bet we'll, like, the ambitious version, which would actually involve some travel, would be, like, saying, okay, we're going to go to Florida or something like that. Um, but more likely, you know, we can make it to Annapolis or St. Michael's or someplace that's, like, sort of within the driving radius of D.C. area, and that could be like our maiden voyage to a beach, and then if they really love it, you know, maybe South Carolina or Florida is in our future. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thanks, Will. Thank you. Okay, Will, sorry for making you listen to the sound of your own voice. Uh, did you indeed introduce your children to the open waters? Uh, we did indeed. In fact, uh, we did the ambitious version, and we went to Florida, and we liked it so much that we took a second trip to the ocean uh, later in the summer. Wow. Congratulations. That's great. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm glad you did the ambitious version because the non-ambitious version had you just taking them to Chesapeake Bay, which isn't even the ocean. I know. It's sad. I know. It's sort of sad. Yeah. Um, because of this podcast, I got off that call and I said, we have an urgent matter to attend to. And we then realized that we had totally screwed up in terms of not booking uh, spring um, a March vacation uh, sooner. There weren't a lot of options, but... This was a priority, so we uh, we found a place in Florida, flew down there, um, had a great time, and now the kids want to go back, and that's the only problem is, although it was really great, we definitely would like to go someplace different, and so now we're trying to convince them that actually there are other places in the world that are that are even nicer, um, and uh, we'll bring the same, like, you know, blow-up uh, alligator to swim with in the ocean wherever we go. You can just tell them that you made, you vowed on this podcast to take them to, I don't know, 
Ecuador. Any Saint place Lucia. but yeah. the Saint ocean. Lucia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm not saying we're going to take them to St. Lucia, but, you know, why not Puerto Rico? So we'll see. Something. We're going to do it again, though. Okay. Congratulations, Will, on setting a very achievable goal and accomplishing it. That's a great New Year's resolution. Yeah. That's a great way to handle it. Thank you very much. I expect that I did far better than my colleagues. We'll let you know. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Next, we have sleep parenting columnist Melinda Wenner-Moyer. Here's what Melinda swore to stop doing in 2015. My parenting resolution is to get out of the habit um, that I have of feeding my three-year-old kids food. So um, he's on this endless rotation of basically the same five meals, chicken fingers, fish sticks, hot dogs, and like three types of vegetables because that's all he wants to eat. Um, And it's really terrible. Um, I realized the other day he has never tried a cucumber and I was like, oh my God, I was mortified. Okay. So Melinda, what are you cooking for dinner tonight? (laughs) You know, let me start by saying this has certainly not been an all or nothing thing. So my kids definitely still have chicken fingers, but I do think that I have made some good changes. And in fact, tonight I am feeding them some leftover salmon because I made salmon last night, which I was very excited about. So here's the most important question, though. Have they eaten a cucumber? (laughs) I thought you were going to ask that. Um, Yes, my son has tried a cucumber. My daughter has not yet tried a cucumber, but she's only 18 months old. Um, He has tried cucumbers. He actually kind of likes them. depends on the day. Um, uh, I did give him a cucumber a few months ago and for the most part likes them. So what was the biggest challenge here? Has it been actually finding the time to cook food or figure out grown-up food that they would eat or is it just getting them to eat what you put in front of them? It's mostly a convenience issue, a time issue, because during the week, you know, I'm working until like five o'clock and then I, I pick them up and then once we get home, I need to have dinner on the table for them within like 10 minutes or else, you know, they're screaming. So the weekdays have still been the biggest challenge. But what we've done on the weekends, my husband and I, one of us will make some kind of family style dinner on Saturday and Sunday nights. And usually we try to make something that is like outside their comfort zone, but still it's conceivable that they would like it. So they do really well, actually, when we all eat together. I mean, there are exceptions. There have been times when they refuse to eat. But for the most part, they, they're they pretty good. And I try to sort of balance the new, like the adult food with some sides that I know that they're pretty comfortable with so that, you know, they don't starve. It sounds like you did, you know, a pretty okay job. Better than I did. <laughs> yeah, congratulations <laughs> on basically fulfilling the minimal requirements of your resolution. <laughs> sort of, with a lot of exceptions, yeah. All right, All right. thanks, Melinda. <laughs> You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Okay, here comes a good one. Slate Features editor Jessica Winter made her parenting resolution while still on maternity leave. Basically, she had no idea what she was talking about, and yet we extracted a binding pledge from her. Here it is. My resolution, I think, is to is to break a kind of thought pattern or a habit of mind that I, I can feel solidifying even this, this early seven weeks in. Um, and that is... This this notion, this voice in my head that I am the primary parent, I am the number one, be all, end all, and that my husband, Adrian, is, is somehow like a backup or a plan B or like the world's greatest glorified babysitter or something like that. I, I, I feel this happening all the time, like I'll, I'll 
give Adrian the baby um, so that I can take a shower or something. And I just totally feel like I'm on borrowed time and that he's doing me this big favor and that I shouldn't take advantage of his generosity, which is ludicrous. It's bonkers. Like he is a totally committed and besotted co-parent. This is all internal. There are no external influences guiding this. Like it's just something that I need to get over. Okay. How did that go? I just want to start by saying it, it was completely hilarious that you extracted a resolution from me seven weeks in. Um, I should have resolved to like brush my teeth or leave the house or something. You sound really like very eloquent there. <laughs> yeah, it's that that feeling has totally dissipated, and I, I I can kind of hear myself on on the clip realizing that it would probably eventually dissipate. It dissipated a lot when I came back from maternity leave, and it it pretty much entirely dissipated once I was done breastfeeding, and. I I felt as though, you know, we could be truly 50-50 co-parents at that point. So, but it, it wasn't, it, it happened of its own volition. It wasn't due to any resolution that, that I made. I don't know. I do I do think that it, that the act of talking about it and making a resolution and thinking about it helps bring that to the fore in a way that couldn't have hurt as you were following that path through the course of the year. That's very kind of you, Dan. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, one thing one thing that's been really pleasantly surprising to me about my first year and change of, of parenthood is I, I was warned a lot. I think I was warned during that segment, and I've, I've been warned by a lot of the things I, I read and people I talk to about guilt, about how, how feelings of guilt when you're away from your child are, are really intense, especially when, when she's a baby. And I honestly haven't experienced a lot of guilt. Like when I'm away from her, I, I miss her and I want to be with her more. But when I'm away from her, I know why I'm away from her. I'm at work. I'm earning a living. I'm with my friends or, or whatever it is that I'm doing. And I think vocalizing some of these concerns and, and talking to smart people like you about feelings of guilt or feelings of, of panic when you're away from your kid um, was in that way, Dan, um, totally fruitful and reassuring. And I, I, I think it's helped me a lot. Just saying what's on my mind or listening to other people, what's on their mind um, is in itself helpful, even if you don't necessarily extract like constructive solutions out of it in the moment. So thank you. Okay. W- this is three for three, Dan, <laughs> right? Three for three people have lived up to their parenting resolutions. This is bizarre. Who's lying? Uh, okay. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Jessica. Okay, next up is Slate's editor-in-chief, our boss, Julia Turner. Hey, Julia. Hi, Allison. Hi, Dan. Hey. Okay, Julia, here is what you said last year. So my husband and I have twins who are almost two. And a thing that twin parents tell you and that twin parenting books tell you and that, in general, people tell you about twins is that you should separate them and have, like, one go on an errand with dad and one hang out with mom and have them spend time apart from each other as autonomous individuals in the world so that they don't get confused about whether they're just one person with two bodies. And we are terrible at this. We never do it. It's just, I don't know why. I think it's just easier to have one parent just watch them both while the other one runs out to do an errand or goes to the gym or, you know, whatever. So I think we're going to try and do a little bit more solo time with our kids in this year. All right. We will check in with you next year to see how it went. Okay, Julia, how did it go? I did not do that. (laughs) I did not do that. And I was reminded how much I did not do that the first time I did it since I spoke to you last, which was 
two days ago when we oh, were. Oh no! <laughs> you were like, "Quick, I'm going to have to come on this podcast." One of you, come along with me. Honestly, it was before. I don't you... even know which one you are. <laughs> it was before you scheduled the taping, but we were all going to go to Grand Central this weekend and look at the train. There's like a train exhibit there, and then one of the boys got a fever, uh, and I was feeling kind of under the weather, so I was like, "I'll stay home with him," and. Ben took our other son by himself to Grand Central to meet up with his cousins. And it was a solo adventure. And I would say probably it made me feel like, who cares? I should not. This is not a thing that should be a parenting priority for me. So sitting at home with your sick kid suggested that being alone with your children shouldn't be a priority for you? (laughs) Well, I guess I got the raw end of that deal because Ben got to have the fun (laughs) adventure with the non-sick child. So maybe I should have uh, asked him to weigh in on this. But I think just in general, you know, one of the things that we'd heard a bunch about having twins is it's very important to, you know, foster separate spaces for them and develop your own individualized relationships with them and, you know, make sure that they get solo time. And so that all seemed very worthy, and it's part of why it was my resolution last year. But I don't know. I I know them, and they know us. I have independent (laughs) relationships with them. It doesn't seem like I have to take one out solo to the Dwayne Reed with me or something in order to, you know, foster special time. Like when we're hanging around in the house, sometimes I'm cooking with one of them or, you know, playing with trains with the other one or ignoring them both equally. So maybe this is just me copping out, but I failed... But I don't feel bad about it. I don't think it's copping I out. Think you're I mean, copping out. I don't. I think it's like I, I actually appreciate it. It's like they say they say there's this thing you should do with twins. Last year, your twin. How old were they? They were. So they're they about little. to be three. So they were just about to be two. So they've really become people. Yeah. Like since I talked to you guys last, yeah. like really, you know, distinct humans with personalities and desires that they can tell us about, which is the big change. Right. Look, I was not present for the show last year, Julia, so I didn't have a chance to tell you this then. But I feel like the reason to do this is not because experts say you should forge independent relationships with each of your twins, but because it's funner. Because going out with one kid is funner than going out with two kids. (laughs) Because you can focus on the one kid and both kids don't fight with each other. Maybe your twins never fight because they're perfect twins. But you instead get to just have an adventure one-on-one with another person, which is, I think, naturally a fun thing to do. And so that is the reason, I think, to pursue this resolution. And and that's the reason to maybe feel disappointed if you didn't do it, not because you're not fostering any kind of relationship with your children. Of course you are at home and, and all the things that you do, but because it's a, it's a different and fun way to be with them. Yeah, no, I, that makes sense. And in fact, it may make more sense as they get older and their interests diverge and they're slightly less malleable towards any place or activity that's full of vehicles of any kind. Um, right. But at the moment, it just feels like robbing time from me and my husband. Like we yeah, like it's to, family time. It's family time. Yeah. Like, why am I going to like not get to hang out with him and the other kid? Because I want to focus on the one kid. Like. I don't know. If we have an afternoon to do an adventure, it's more fun to just go do an adventure all together. It also sets up. I mean, I like what you're saying, Dan, and I agree. And it's fun to, especially when your kids start liking different things, it's fun to split up like that. But it also sets up the like, who got the raw deal when you split up like that? <laughs> I'm yeah. always like, was it better? Like, who was it who goes to, to the home? tile store on the right. errand, and who <laughs> right. goes to the ice cream parlor? Right. <laughs> uh, okay. Thanks, Julia. Thanks, guys. Bye. And finally, we have back on the show today Gawker executive editor, frontman for a New Jersey-based dad band, and my husband, John Cook, who last year said... Uh, Stop yelling at my children. 
that is the same as mine. <laughs> and then maybe that will stop them from yelling at me, which they've started to <laughs> they're do. Both, they're yeah. all talking about this at home now. And the, their resolution is to, is to stop yelling at us. Thanks, guys. We hear you. We'll check back within you, with you in a year. Okay, John, please tell us in a calm and measured voice how long it took you to break. <laughs> they didn't stop yelling at me, so I didn't stop yelling at them. <laughs> That's uh, quid pro quo, guys. Did you try? <laughs> Do you feel like you tried? Um, you know, I try. I feel like I, I try like six times a day, maybe, and fail. Whatever emotional effort I may have put into it, which I feel like I probably did until like January 4th. It clearly failed. I get, you know, I get sort of caught up in the moment, and uh, it's often the only way that I see to motivate them to get what I want. Allison, what about you? It was also yours. I'm curious what John would say, uh, but I think I have certainly not succeeded at this, but I've I've tried more and done better. John? Mm, (laughs) I don't know. There was was that moment in the car recently when I was like— On Monday? No, on Sunday when I was like, I, it used to just be me, and I just did what I wanted. <laughs> but I do feel like I tried. Wait, I just do want to note that Sam, when we were giving resolutions uh, at the diner after New Year's this year, our New Year's Day, I guess, this year, said that his resolution was for us to have a quieter house, which made me deeply, deeply sad. I think you guys need to cut yourselves a break about this. I think that you guys are just yellers, and you are yellers in a house with three boys, who I'm sure are also yellers. You are just going to be one of those houses where people yell. It doesn't mean you don't love your kids. It doesn't mean your kids don't love you. You're just one of those houses where people yell. I had friends who had those houses growing up. They weren't abused. They were still happy. They just liked yelling. I think you guys need to chill out about it. Chill out about our yelling? Okay, thanks, Dan. Yes. Uh, I don't know. I still would like to work on it. I'd like to work on it. Because it has no... Yeah, whatever. We've been through this a lot. Thanks, honey. <laughs> Love you. Love you, too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Okay, Dan, you were absent for that show, so you never actually had to make a resolution, and therefore we will all just assume you spent yet another year making promises you couldn't keep. However, here yep. you are now. So, tell me, what's your parenting resolution for 2016? For 2016, my parenting resolution is a little bit similar to yours from last year, but not quite. I'm not, I don't know that I'm quite the yeller um, that you guys are. Uh, But more broadly, my resolution for this year is that I want to think more before I speak to my kids because I find myself just frequently in conversations with them or in interactions with them making just sort of knee jerk statements or responses all the time that you know, with a fullness of thought, I might not have made. So I'll say no to some totally innocuous request just reflexively because I just say no all the time. But then I have to stick to that stupid no just because I want to feel, like, consistent. Or uh, I I make a sort of semi-sarcastic snide remark to one of my kids when I could have instead been kind or sympathetic if I had just thought for a second. And also yelling. Like, yelling, I think, sometimes happens when talking would have worked fine. Also, sometimes I yell while Alia is already talking to them about something, and I just, like, pitch in my extra voice. I do this, like, once a day. I hate that. John does that, too. Yeah, it doesn't help. I'm sure it annoys her. I think that's been a fail of mine before on this show. But I think it would really help if I make a specific concrete resolution to think 
before I speak. And in the end, I don't know if this is a resolution to yell less. Maybe if I take the time to really think about it, I'll realize I should be yelling more. Maybe. Who knows? But that's my resolution. What about yours? I li- well, let me just say, I really like that also, not just about the yelling, but like there are so many throwaway comments that I think like help me let off a little steam and I don't realize that they impact the kids. Um, like I Like it used to be just me. Right. That. Yes. Right. We'll be, I'll be hearing about that one in a few years. But no, during the holidays, actually, the kids were sick. I didn't realize they were all sick. And we, you know, they were sort of getting sick. And we did a bunch of things. We took them to a bunch of fun things that they didn't enjoy, I think, because they were getting sick. And I felt just like very frustrated. We keep taking you to these things. And you're not enjoying them. And I said something about like, you kids are never happy or something. And this just this morning at breakfast, completely out of the blue, Harry said, why did you say you kids are never happy? Why do you think we're never happy? And I thought, oh, man. oh like that was, you know, he heard me. And yeah. Um, yeah. so, yeah, I think that's a good resolution. Uh, mine is related. To, mine should also be yours, which is to finally figure out how much I want to reveal about my children on this show. We keep, <laughs> no, it's not a joke. We keep talking about that. And I find it slowly becoming something I, you know, I actually want to deal with. Uh, so that's one. And I also want to learn how to cook chicken. Those are great. Great resolutions. For cooking chicken, let me recommend the Zuni Cafe roast chicken recipe, which is the best roast chicken recipe. That seems advanced for a person who's never cooked chicken. It's not. It's so simple. It's incredibly simple. Okay. Yes, it's really, really, really simple. I promise. It's literally take a small chicken, put a bunch of salt on it, six hours later, roast it. Okay. Okay, what are your parenting resolutions for 2016? Tell us on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash momanddadarefighting, or email us at momanddad at slate.com. All right. Mom and Dad Are Fighting is sponsored by Club W. Allison, do you have a favorite wine? Um, Yes. You do? I do. I wish I did. We (laughs) have bought the same wine Every pretty much every time we buy wine, we buy the exact same bottle of the of our wedding wine. It's the stuff that my brother, who knows anything about wine, recommended for a wedding. Wouldn't that so be considered your wine. favorite? Uh, no, it's fine, but okay. I just buy it because I don't know anything about wine, and I don't. Neither do I. Like, Neither do I. Right. My favorite wine is the one that we always buy. Right, and so it's like fine, but I have to imagine there are better wines in the world, and I would enjoy tasting them. But I don't know anything about it, and I often find it totally overwhelming. Um, well, with Club W, uh, you never have to worry about being overwhelmed in the wine aisle again, and you still get to try new things. Club W is a revolutionary new wine club that sends you wine directly to your door. Not only do they send you wine, they send you wine that they promise you will love drinking. Club W's easy six-question quiz that you take when you join at clubw.com, it figures out your palate so that every bottle you receive is perfectly tailored to your taste. They also work directly with vineyards to cut out the middlemen. They are getting exclusive wines from vineyards that they help develop to match your flavor palate. It saves you money, and it gets you wine that you'll really love. And they offer a no-risk guarantee that, they, that you will love the wine that they send you. So right now you get 50% off your first order when you go to clubw.com slash momanddad. That is clubw.com slash momanddad to get 50% off your first order of wine that they guarantee you will love. Wine clubs are also an excellent in-law and parent gift. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a great way to help your parents get through time with your children. All right. Back to the show. All right. Let's move on to recommendations. Allison, what do you got? 
I have two recommendations this week, both from the 1970s. Dan, you're going to disagree with me on the first one, but I... I can't wait. Anyway, would like to recommend playing old Steve Martin stand-up albums for your kids when you're in the car (laughs) and everyone is getting punchy and about to lose it. We played 1978's A Wild and Crazy Guy for our kids in hour six of one of our holiday drives. And they didn't get it all, uh, and some of the SEX stuff was probably inappropriate. But his delivery is so funny that they just, like, laughed and laughed and laughed, and we got a lot of joy. I mean, it was funny to us to hear him, but also we got a lot of joy out of them laughing at him. Uh, It has just the right amount of swears to keep them engaged. But, Dan, go ahead quickly before I get to my second recommendation and lodge your complaint. So you announced this on one of the Slate Slack channels, and I thought, oh, my God, what an amazing idea. So then when we were driving down for New Year's, I put it on for my kids, and none of us thought it was funny. It was that exact album, and it just felt like it was Steve Martin in front of a crowd who loved and knew Steve Martin because it was 1978, and they were ready to laugh at everything he did, but we didn't understand any of the jokes or why it was funny when he said the words happy feet. And so my kids were like, what is this? Well, this is boring. I agree overall with the recommendation of comedy albums as a thing to play for kids. I think that one just wasn't for us. I'm sorry that your kids have terrible senses of humor. Me too. One other quick one. Two books, a series titled How Tom Beat Captain Jork and His Hired Sportsmen and A Near Thing for Captain Jork." both by Russell Hoban with illustrations by Quentin Blake. Both of these books were published in the 70s, but they are new to me, and apparently, according to rabid fans on Amazon, which there are many, they were out of print for a while. Are these famous books, book person? Russell Hoban is famous, but this is not one of the things he is famous for. Okay, these are totally weird and fun books. My um, sister-in-law got them for the kids for uh, Christmas. Uh, they have characters named, for instance, Aunt Fidget Wonkum Strong Najork and Aunt Bundlejoy Cozy Sweet. They're good for kids ages four and up, I'd say. They're just absurd and great, and you really should go read the Amazon reviews, which will definitely convince you to buy these books if I haven't. That is a great recommendation. Unlike your other recommendation. What do you have? I also have a, a book recommendation, but not a specific book. It's a book concept, which is having your kids... If they're interested, read parenting books. Lyra, for some reason, has gotten it in her bonnet, a bee in her bonnet, that she wants to read parenting books. This started when we were at a Goodwill at one point, just like shopping for used books, and she found this like parenting book that was clearly from like 1997 called I Hate School, and it's a guide for parents of kids who really dislike school. Now, Lyra doesn't really even dislike school. She likes it pretty well, but she was totally fascinated to read this parenting book to get what she viewed as like the inside story on what parents really thought about their kids. So over Christmas vacation, when she had completely run out of books to read and she had nothing else, she asked me, don't you have anything I can read? So I gave her French Kids Eat Everything, a parenting book about getting your kids to eat different things based on the way the kids eat in France. And she read the whole thing in the afternoon and became deeply interested in what she eats and why she eats what she eats and how short her school lunch break is and all the issues that this book raised. And I find it so delightful to see her reading these things to see her thinking about these issues and I also think it makes her a tiny bit more sympathetic to us to start thinking of things from a parent's point of view and to see the things that we worry about with her are not just our weird foibles but are in fact shared by so many parents that they wrote a book about it. So that is my recommendation. Have your 10-year-old or older kid read a parenting book. It's kind of fun. Does she know that you are a noted parenting expert? 
She is aware that there is a podcast on which I say her name sometimes, but I believe she correctly believes that I don't actually know anything about parenting. <laughs> good recommendation. Weird recommendation, but good one. Yes. I, it was. It's really been fun. That's our show. Visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash fighting or email us at momanddad at slate.com. Mom and Dad are Fighting is part of the Panoply Network. Hear all our shows at iTunes.com slash Panoply. Thanks to our guests, Ron Lieber, Jessica Winter, Will Dobson, John Cook, Melinda Wenner-Moyer, and Julia Turner. Thanks to our intern, Shiva Bayat, our producer, Ann Hepperman, the new executive producer of Slate Podcast, Steve Lichtai, and the head of Panoply, Andy Bowers. Thank you, Allison. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.